0: Welcome back. It's time for another Waterproof Records. I'm glad to see you here listening. Well, I'm not really seeing you. I'm just looking at my iPhone camera right now, which is documenting this part of the show. But let's just pretend that I'm looking through wherever you are right now and I'm staring at you through the abyss. And we're together. We're going to listen to music, we're going to talk about music. It's going to be amazing. Um, I love having you here at Waterproof Records and I'm so excited for today's show because um, I made friends with this gentleman online, we befriended each other that way first, and then I finally got to meet him and hang out with him for a little bit and I'm looking forward to doing that again sometime soon. Um, you already know who my guest is, there's no surprise here because you clicked on the episode, you saw it in the title, and you were like, no way, Jacob Givens got this dude, amazing, but before we get there, we're going to kick off with the song, do the sponsor, you know the drill, so let's get to it. So today, I am thrilled to welcome the amazing, incredible songwriter, guitarist, producer, musician extraordinaire, Chris Trainer. Let's go. Things
1: are gonna change. I geez, like,
0: All right, before my my gaze moves down to my Zoom camera and I welcome Chris onto the show, we're going to talk about DistroKid. DistroKid is a sponsor of the show and I love them. You should love them too. You should trust me on this. I'm telling you right now if you want to get your music out into the world, you got to use DistroKid. They make it so easy and I have a special link, very important link vip very important person with the link it's a vip link and it's in all the descriptions of these episodes and you can find it pretty much everywhere on all my social media links distrokid.com backslash vip backslash waterproof if you use that link you get 30 percent off your first year of using their services and if you don't know about distrokid it is the fastest and easiest way for you to get your music around the world like that they make it super simple you upload your songs and you are on spotify itunes tidal a million other services. They even give you the YouTube music channel. You know when you go to YouTube and there's like the official YouTube stuff? Come on. That's incredible. So you got to do DistroKid. It'll help all that art and amazing sounds that you're creating in your home and give it to the world. Why would you not give it to the world? So once again, distrokid.com slash VIP slash waterproof. 30% off your first year. I, special thanks to DistroKid. I couldn't do this show without you. But now, the moment we've been waiting for, the time is now, and I cannot wait to introduce Chris Trainer, the incredible guitar player of bands like Orange Nine Millimeter, Rival Schools, Helmet, Bush, Gavin Rossdale's solo work, so many bands, and we're going to get to him right now. So ladies and gentlemen, welcome Chris Trainer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How's it going? Good, dude. Good to see you. Uh, it's so good to see you. This is like... We got a chance to finally meet in person, not just on social media, at the last Bush show in uh, in Anaheim. And it was a it was a historic, it was one for the books for me. It was a historic moment for sure.
1: It was so amazing to see you. And then we got to take a picture on stage afterwards. Yes. Doing a little posing on stage. Yes, that,
0: that was, was so... really
1: cool. I remember when I remember the first time I ever saw you, and I just like I was so um captivated by your love of music and what you did what you were doing I think one of the first things I ever saw maybe was a smashing pumpkin thing I can't remember what it was but I just thought that's exactly how I felt when I yes. when I saw that yeah and I just thought it was amazing that you know like you're doing something that it just made me feel you made me understand who you were and we became friends you know that yeah. way
0: yeah, I, I'm so happy to hear that. And that was a thrill for me. It was it was probably the video I made for mayonnaise where the wind is blowing my face on the guitar squeal. That one seemed to get to everyone. So, yeah, yeah. um, Yeah, man, it was so cool when when we connected and one of our first interactions, you know, we were following each other, and I knew about your work, and I knew about your guitar work. And then I love that our first real like major interaction was you made this picture on Instagram of you in front of rock formations. And you were like, I'm going to do a contest who can come up with the best pun. And I saw it right when you dropped it, and I was like, man, I love doing puns so much. That's like one of my favorite things. I'm a dad, I drop puns left and right. So I was like, think fast, think fast, think fast. And it was something like, "I something for Granite, uh, that's a nice pick, and I did G-N-E-I-S-S. And I did all these like really ridiculous geology-related puns into the comment. And then you, you were like, I announced Jacob Givens is the winner, and you sent me a Kingdom Come signed CD in the mail, and I was like, "I can't believe I got this! This is so so cool!" It was such a great moment, and then that's really what kind of started us talking to each other, and uh, and 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 furthered the friendship. So, do you you remember that when you did the uh, the Stones?
1: Yeah, yeah, and um, that was me. I was working on. Um a ranch, one of the first ones I ever got a chance to ride horses on cattle. So that was somebody, uh, my neighbor actually came out with me and took that photograph and I posted it. And Corey and I, the bass player in Bush, Mm -hmm. were like, I said, Corey, you got to help me because a lot of them were really bad and a lot of them weren't even puns. Right. So I was like, and (laughs) Corey said, Corey didn't know who you were at first. And he said, this is the only person I think who actually knows what a pun is. Yes, of course I do. (laughs) <laughs> so that was that was really cool that was a really cool interaction um and Corey cory loved it too Corey um, was like nobody knows what-
0: <laughs> i love it i love it dude i know i'm i look i've been guilty of uh of being the worst with puns and so i i leap at the opportunity i say them all the time my kids give me solid groans so i have embraced my dad life hundred percent, and so I knew it. And I and I saw in the competition, I was like, okay, but there was a there was a K Rock. I feel like there was a K Rock DJ, like somebody that I was really familiar with, who was like a front runner with me. I feel like we were neck yeah. and neck. And I, I just, yeah, and I was like, Allie, Allie, you'll you'll be able to get this from Chris no matter what. Let me just have this, and so I was so happy. I
1: actually wrote her and I said, you know, I said I know you for a long time, and yours is great, but if I let you in, that's going to be like insider trading. <laughs> totally. You know, people-
0: Totally. Yeah. If she would have won, I would have, I would have messaged. I would be like, Allie, come on. I've been listening to you on the radio for years. Let let me have this. Um, but yeah. I, I was stoked. And once it came in the mail, I did this video where I was so excited to open it up. And it was the first time... Um, You know, this was kind of early in my things are growing on the Internet and I published the mm-hmm. video and right away somebody really kindly was like, hey, dude, your address is like just laid out for the whole world to see as you're opening up that package. And it had not dawned on me that that might be a problem for me, you know, like just yeah. the whole world knowing where I live. So I immediately I was like, oh, I got to fix this. I got to fix this. And and even since I still I still completely forget, because for me, you know, a t- little o- over two years ago, this wasn't happening in my life. I wasn't, you know, making silly music videos and going to see Bush and talking to Chris and meeting Gavin and, you know, all the things that have happened. Um, and so my life has changed so tremendously. And it, it's been just so awesome to interact with heroes and gifted musicians and get a chance to see them live and and hang out. And so I'm not only just thrilled that we got a chance to meet and we're talking right now, but you agreed to come on waterproof records, which uh, I've been, I've been dreaming about for a, for a while now. So I'm, I'm glad you're here.
1: Yeah. So cool. I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. Um, So do you want to talk a little bit about meeting Dean and Robert? Cause I love those guys.
0: Yes, absolutely. I'd love to talk about that. I, you're, the first episode that I'll be putting out since I went to Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp. So to give the audience kind of a brief rundown, I know I think I said I'm headed to it soon, but it happened. It, the, the, the event occurred and it was really a dream come true. It's this thing that's been going on for 27 years, Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp. And uh, you know, it's not it's not an easy thing to get into because it is it's a little costly to be a guest. But they reached out to me and they were like, you know, we'd love for you to come. You know, we've seen your videos. We like what you're about. And as soon as I saw that the guests were Robert and Dean DeLeo, I was like, and Kim Thale from Soundgarden, I was over the moon. I was like, you got to be kidding me. And so I was so in uh, 1993, my first concert, my first Real Rock concert was seeing STP right off of CORE coming out in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And so I knew I was so excited about that. And then Robert and I started messaging each other uh, through Instagram and we started talking. And I was like, I'm going to be at rock camp, dude. I'm going to be there. And he's like, dude, what song do you want to play? And I was like, dead and bloated all the way. And so we got a little friendship going. And then um, and then the, the day that they show up. It was cool. I felt I felt like a badass because, you know, all the campers are really excited that the DeLeo's are there and they're handling the moment with with care. And I go upstairs and there's a couple other people waiting there in the lobby and Robert sees me and he's like, Jacob. And we just hugged. And I you could see all these other people who are like managing the camp, looking up like, how does how does this dude know Robert DeLeo? You know, and so that was like I was freaking out. And then the same thing happened with Dean. Those guys, they made me feel like I was an honorary DeLeo in like five minutes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. They're incredible
1: people. They're incredible people. They're they're terrifying musicians. Yeah. Like they're so good. I remember the first year, I think in 2002 when I was touring with Bush, we played a couple of outdoor radio festivals where like we would open for stone temple pilots and they would open for us on the stages. And I remember the first time I saw them play, I was terrified. Like they were so good. I was like, <laughs> these guys are so good. Yes. You know, we had to play after them that show. I think it was in Atlanta. I can't, it was, it was quite a while ago, like, you know, 20 years ago, but yeah, they are just amazing. They're amazing dudes. They're amazing players and they're so kind. They're so, so kind. kind. And to me, they're like, the closest thing that we had to Led Zeppelin in the nineties. That's what I think. Like they're, they're an incredible, they're incredible musicians and guitar players. They know so much about music, like how they play is so original. And um, you know, I, I'm lucky we've done a lot of tours with them. So I've had a lot of like uh, breakfasts in Australia with them or different places in the world. We've, we've been together and they're, they're just incredible dudes and, and, and Robert loves to fish. And so we both kind of love nature. Yeah. So we always talk, like where we would you know what kind of dream places we'd like to be eventually and um they're 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 great dudes i consider them family now they also promised me that i could play a song with them and i asked dean if we could play army ants because i want to do the splits
0: oh absolutely you got to do do it
1: but it hasn't so i don't know if they're like leading me on but you know
0: well, I'm thinking now since so I'm huge into nature. You're huge into nature. So's Robert. I'm thinking like you know, some kind of hiking thing is going to start occurring and then that'll be the moment where you could be like, "You know, we still haven't played."
1: <laughs> yeah. And you'll just like discreetly pull out like a Martin backpacker and like oh,
0: start 100%. That's the plan, dude. That's the plan. We're going to start we're going to start the uh, the rock hike crew. We're going to find every outdoorsy uh, musician who lives in Southern California. Um, yeah, just you're so right about their kindness, their generosity. They made everybody at camp feel special. They just took a lot of time to talk to people and they made them feel really um, welcome. And no no part of them felt like they were rushing to get out of there. And those guys are just watching brothers play together. They're just in lockstep. You know, they they... They're so in sync with each other. And that was even asked in their Q&A as to, you know, how it is playing with other musicians as opposed to each other. And they talk just about the shorthand. You've been they've been playing music together since they were teens. And uh, that was really cool to see. And you're right about the Led Zeppelin. I remember being a teenager and the chords that were being played back before the internet and you could try to get your hands on like a guitar world with a tab, but there was a lot of this like discussion as to like, what, what, what chord is this? What kind of jazz, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, whatever position on the fret are we playing? And it, it was, it was really fun because it was watching him play and you go just such a unique style and chord changes. And so, yeah, they're, they're really, really superior musicians and, uh, it was an honor to meet them for sure.
1: Jimmy page played a lot like that too. I I learned how to play guitar, um, off the Zeppelin records on vinyl. Yeah. One of my cousins got married and his wife wouldn't let him have his record collection for some reason. I don't know. Maybe I'm getting a story, right? No disrespect to her, but (laughs) I got his one way or another. And I, uh, spent the summer indoors at my, I stole my sister's like Fisher price plastic record player. Nice. And I would just like do a riff and, and learn it. And, uh, a lot of times, especially when I was growing up, you think, Oh, I know how this Zeppelin thing goes. Cause it's how it feels, you know, yeah. like we feel music sometimes more than we listen to it. Right. Which is not a bad thing, but Jimmy Page played, when you get like down into it, the stuff that he was doing, mm-hmm. um, it's strange. It's not like common bar chords and stuff like that. And that's a lot. I think that's where, that's also why I say like Zeppelin. Cause I think Dean pulls a lot of that stuff, you know, yeah. into the nineties yeah. and now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And was that your experience too, as a guitarist, as a kid, uh, that it was a lot of figuring stuff out on your own on the guitar um, initially, just kind of like making it up as you go, and then and then learning the quote unquote correct way to do things later? Or what was kind of your journey as a, as a guitar player?
1: Um, my my parents who took good care of me couldn't afford to have lessons. I had one lesson. Yeah. I walked with like an acoustic guitar case in cowboy boots like six miles in the snow i'm not joking really really and And this was in
0: new york in new york
1: yeah in long island yeah when i I went to high school and, and um and the guy i can't even remember what the guy taught me like it was at the time when everybody was doing like super shreddy stuff but it wasn't enough to go on so i just learned by ear i learned you know, so I learned a lot of like classic rock stuff first. And then I started to get into bands like Jane's Addiction and Smashing Pumpkins, like the earlier of the alternative, right. you know, like yeah. they came out a bit earlier. Um, and then I started writing my own stuff. Like right away, I got a record deal with Orange Nine Millimeter, I think when I was 18. Yeah. I think a lot of times when we did our first tour, I was definitely under 21 and I couldn't get into certain clubs. Like I would do a sound check really? and then they wouldn't let me back in because I didn't have ID. And I was like, I'm supposed to be playing like one show in California my band was on stage waiting for me. And I'm like, I'm supposed to be there. Oh they wouldn't God. let me in. Cause I was too young. Wow. Um, so then, you know, of course, of course the journey is like when I started playing with Gavin and, You know, we we did a record with all studio musicians and um, Paige Hamilton from Helmet is a, you know, a highly educated musician. All those dudes were actually in the original band. And so I I learned over time. Yeah. And uh, I had this journey of learning guitar and learning about theory and 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 doing stuff like that. But really what I've come back to is um, your initial impulse as a musician, like what gets you into music is what's special about you. Right. And that's really like um, I just did an interview, like a rig rundown for a guitar magazine. And I'm really trying to encourage people to just play like you don't have to be the fastest guitar player or know the most stuff or you don't even have to know the notes. The notes could be called like snake tree bush. Like it doesn't know yes. pun intended, but, yes. you know, <laughs> like,
0: well done. Well done. Um.
1: <laughs> so like you know, just playing like, you know, like what I was saying, how I get enjoyment out of the stuff that you do, because it makes me feel what I feel about music. I think that's what people gravitate towards is a feeling in music, like a feeling Mm -hmm. that it, that it gives to you. And then, you know, when you're going through certain times in your life, like, let's just, heartache's an easy one and you hear a song and you're like, it totally means something deeper and heavier and new, like when you're going through a breakup or something like that. So I've gone this full circle of studying a lot and, and trying to learn a lot of theory, but coming back to like what's inside of you and what draws you to music is what makes your music special.
0: Yeah, agreed. And as a kid, when I got my guitar, I was very much the same. I, My parents, we did the piano lesson thing for a little while, um, but given that piano music wasn't really – You know, the thing that was happening, that music explosion it wouldn't be until Ben Folds five, maybe that I, you know, or Tori Amos that I was like starting to infuse, you know, piano work into what I was enjoying. But um, besides classical as a kid, but I I, when I got my guitar, I knew this kid in my town who played the bass and he was so fucking good. He was like he could play, you know, like it seemed like at the time it was like Les Claypool slapping going all over the place. And I remember feeling so discouraged because I just didn't understand the guitar and I wanted to give up. And you know how it is when you first pick up the guitar, it's so frustrating because there's that first curve, that first hump you got to get over um, in order to continue playing. And I remember just being like, I can't be fixated on one, trying to play like somebody that I admire. Um and or knowing everything and understanding it I just gotta play I just gotta kind of take it one day at a time and try to figure out songs that I'm enjoying and listening to and and uh, you know the alternative and grunge explosion at least took a little bit of the pressure off because learning up some bar chords and you could play along to these songs whereas when I was younger and it was all glam hair metal shred metal that was super intimidating right it was like these guys are like flying all over the neck and I was like I'm never going to get there. But um but yeah, it it was so much more based on a feeling and I'm so glad you brought that up because I think that that's one of the unifying threads on this show is that the feeling we get, we can't we don't really know how to explain it. We just kind of are are compelled and we have to play, we have to listen to these songs and it gives us a feeling and it's often hard to communicate, but you know, it's 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 uh it's something that unifies us all with the songs that we love. You know,
1: music is the only art form that goes through you. Yeah. Oh wow. So, and so like That's great. that feeling, the vibrations, and like as we talk about it, we're basically using ideas and things that we've heard or read before. Yeah. And it's a filter. At words are a filter between the actual feeling and yeah. trying to describe. It. You know, but it's it goes through you. The vibrations go through you.
0: Yeah, that's so true. You mentioned before about um, the record player, the plastic record player and listening to Zeppelin and one of the key features of this show. And I asked you beforehand and it was like, you you, you, you know, it's common that this question is hard for people because you're like, oh, man, I don't I'm not 100 percent sure the specific moment, but the waterproof record, the unsinkable tune uh, the album that really made you go, um, I've got to play guitar. I have to play guitar immediately. I've got to get my hands on one. I got to start playing. And when I asked you, you had a ton of influences that you were hearkening back to. And we kind of circled in on, um, on Led Zeppelin and what was the album yeah. that you were kind of, you know, but you had a lot more and I, and please feel free to reference those, but w- w- which album did you choose from Zeppelin again? Physical graffiti. Physical graffiti. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, what stuck stuck out to you when kind of reminiscing in your mind about physical graffiti in particular? Um, feeling, you know, song?
1: Well, when when I was a, a kid and I did a lot of stuff I wasn't supposed to, which I don't do anymore. What? Um, <laughs> uh, a friend and I, I stole somebody's boat that night and we drove out and it had a tape player and we put uh, that record in and it started for some reason, I was trying to look up the track listing because I remember it being the first song on one of the tapes. It's like a double or a quadruple tape cassette thing. Yeah. And we put the cassette of, uh, in the light in, and we were out on the ocean and I don't know if you've ever been out in the ocean at night, but you can't see, it's pretty dangerous. There's nothing going on. Yeah. It's super scary. And the beginning, The beginning to end the light has this crazy keyboard beginning. Yeah. And I just remember I was probably high, but I remember like staring out and hearing this keyboard thing. And it just felt like it was going forever. And I was just like, wow, like sucked into it, sucked into the darkness. And then it comes in with that riff. And I was just like floored. Yeah. Like it was terrifying. Right. And I think like, there's an aspect of the music that I gravitated towards has like a slightly dangerous, like kind of terrifying edge to it. Right. And that was, that was like w- what I remembered about that record. But the truth is, is that, you know, growing up in the eighties, it was a totally different time. yeah. And uh, we had this band of kids that was a high school graduates and they would come in and like play at like lunchtime and they would play Almond brothers and like the guitar player wailed on those slide things wow and it just I was like i gotta do this yeah you know i try to find i need kn- i knew i wanted to play guitar and then we would like i don't know why they let kids roam around back in the day that they don't do it now but we would like roam around and i remember you know you know, being in parking lots where people had Camaros and they were playing like Zeppelin and you'd hear like Black Sabbath coming out of the cars. So it was like a real car culture, right. you know? And, um, so I found, I was like, told one of my parents, I was interested in guitar and they were like, well, your great grandfather's guitar is like under the steps. Yeah, And like, I went and I crawled like through all this like dusty stuff. And I pulled out like a, a 1950s Gibson Epiphone ar- archtop. It's actually pre Gibson. Really? Yeah. And I just like figured out how to put strings on it. And I think I learned because the, that high school band also played it sweet child of mine. I think that might've been the first thing I ever taught myself. Yeah. You know, that opening,
0: that, that opening, uh, we do, we do.
1: Yeah. But you know, it's a it's a it's a confluence of of influences, yes. you know, and yeah. and um, and there was a lot of uh things happening and and I was influenced by the older kids, you know, like because I was just like out in the in the street, you know, and there mm-hmm. was like, you know, like hearing kids play this or sneaking into parties of older kids when you're younger and like hearing ACDC. You know, in like a backyard, you know, like keg party somewhere. Yes. And I just thought, like this is and it's still in a way like. I I love a lot of modern music, and I, I, I went through the 90s, like actually touring in bands and meeting these bands that were great, but there's something about the initial impulse of like those bands like Zeppelin, Sabbath, ACDC, where it's just right. like so powerful and so raw because they didn't have a lot going on like ACDC. Is exceptionally raw. Yeah. Oh, but like still kids today. And that's the interesting thing about the digital age. Like there's no timeline anymore. When we were growing up, it's like, oh, you gotta get big by like you're 25, and then like, you know, when you're 30, the music that you like is over. But now like kids go on YouTube and they're like listening to Iron Man because it's good. Yeah. And they like it. So there's no timeline for appreciating rock music anymore.
0: That's so true. Well said. Well said. And, and and this aspect of the music being kind of dangerous, I can totally relate. Um, I think that's what really would draw me in a lot of the time. I, I've spoke about it a lot on the show, but I grew up in Oklahoma and I came from a religious home. And so there was a stigma about heavy music rock music, of it being of the devil, of it being an evil thing, of it being a bad influence, that only made it all the more tasty, you know, that made it all the more like, I really want to be close to that sound, and I remember, you know, the older kids, I was also influenced, you know, you and I are only a couple years apart, and I remember the older kids, I made a video about it, about Metallica, You know, seeing those T-shirts on those teenagers older than me was kind of like scary and cool. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I wouldn't even hear Metallica until I saw the one video. That was my exposure. You know, I wasn't hearing Master of Puppets and Ride the Lightning as it was coming. I was I was too young at that time. and, And I couldn't even I didn't even know to get my hands on that. But there was something about those bands that you heard that distorted guitar And these guys, like you said, didn't have a lot. You know, this is before you had 8,000 different distortion pedals or, uh, you know, different ways to make the guitar tone. They were just fuzzing it up jamming it through the amp and just really trying to figure out how they could make the craziest sound. So it was like the wild west of music of just like, what are we going to do? And people were scared of it. They were like, what are you? Are you crazy? You can't do that. You can't play a nine minute song with a crazy solo section in the middle of it. So, I mean, it was just so many rules being broken. Um, So going back to it, it still has that same exciting feel. And I, too, Love a lot of modern bands. Of course, the 90s was my biggest influence as a teenager, but um that really to this day set that foundation and that that uh that point. And so referencing bands like Black Sabbath and Led Zeppelin being, um, you know, those foundational things. And then that slide guitar, that guy in your high school playing the slide guitar. I can hear it and you're playing now, you know, and I can oh. hear, I can hear those influences. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to tell the audience, you know, that you should know who Chris Trainer is. But if you don't have an understanding of kind of his journey, he's been in a lot of bands. But Orange Nine Millimeter was the one that put you on the path. And that's the early 90s. I want to say 94 when the first Orange Nine Millimeter album came out. Is that roughly right what you remember around that time? Maybe 93. I thought it was
1: ninety three, but I, who cares? It was a long time ago. It was a
0: while ago, and you were a teenager, and it was you and 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 Chaka Malik, and you guys yeah. did it together. It was your yeah. it was your baby. You're the founders of this band, and um, you know, you were um, if I read correctly, you were doing the bass for a lot of that time too, right?
1: I wrote on the bass. I yeah. think I'm really a bass player. <laughs> really, like natural. I'm like a natural bass player.
0: That would make sense for your heavy riffs, for sure. Your
1: deep, resonant riffs. I have uh, heard a lot of that stuff. Uh, I had a bass where it did I had like a Fender Jazz bass that didn't have pickups in it. Mm-hmm. So I used to sit in the corner of my apartment as a kid and smoke cigarettes and just like riff on bass. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. So like if you listen to a lot of the the first Orange Nine Millimeter album, the bass parts are pretty complex, maybe too complex. I don't know, but they yeah. they. I, I like I like writing from the point of the bass. And uh, Chaka taught me a lot about um, the connection of the bass and the drums. We spent a lot of time together, like talking about music and listening to different genres of music. So that was um, bass, is like, you know, I played bass for a couple shows for Blur.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, you that, did? Yeah. I didn't know that.
1: They're like one of my favorite bands when I was a kid. Love that alex couldn't make it into the country because of they tightened the rules after 9 11 so he, he couldn't come in for one reason or the other and they wanted i think that dude's name is justin that place for beck sometimes they wanted that guy beck's bass player and he couldn't make it so my friend from virgin records called me up he said can you do this and um i was like i don't know it's a lot of songs so it was like 20 songs yeah. in 24 hours i had to learn wow and they they were like and al i was like i don't know if i can do it and alex the only time i've ever spoken to him the, the bass player from um blur called me up and said it's bass, mate Mate, just stick your finger out and go around so <laughs> I was like, okay so i i had, was on two flights i just brought um i brought a bass with me and uh because i had known the music actually mm-hmm. i think it would have been pretty impossible to do if i if you didn't already know the songs Yeah. I knew the music and um, it was really, it was really funny. But when I, when I first went into the, I don't think they wanted me there. When I first walked into the rehearsal room, like their backs were kind of turned to me Mm -hmm. and I was like, okay. And there I like plugged in and I started playing as soon as I started playing, then they, they all lit up and they were, they turned towards me and stuff.
0: That's amazing. I also am a big blur fan and uh, they connected with me more in the nineties than Oasis. I, 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 enjoy Oasis, but blur, um, I remember just being, you know, like songs like the universal and coffee and tea and, um, beetle Bum. I just really was digging the sound that Damon Albarn was putting out. And, uh, that was a big band for me too. So that what, what a cool experience to to play on stage with them. That's great. I love yeah. this idea of uh, you just put your finger out and go up and down the vase. That's such a funny perspective, right? Like you, uh, for people who listen to the show, who aren't guitarists or bassists or whatever there is this idea of being a guitarist versus being a bassist you know some guitarists have the gall to some bass players to say well because I play the guitar I know how to play the bass and a a person who's come up on the bass like that's not true you know what I mean it's like there's this there's this idea like there's you are you are a bass player if you're a bass player and so I love that you feel like at your core that's really where it all started for you.
1: Yeah, bass is a lot. I think bass is like a vacation.
0: Yeah.
1: A lot of fun. Yeah. And like, you're, you're responsible for holding it down, but also no one's really scrutinizing you. Yeah. And then people that are like pure lead guitar players, like Justin Derrico that plays in Pink's Band. He's a friend of ours. Yeah. And it's just like you see him as like, 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 you know, that's not me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So I think there's like people that are, you know, you just kind of gravitate towards stuff. And I like riffs, like, you know, like playing in helmet helmet. I was lucky enough. That was one of my favorite bands. And when Mine they, too. when they, when they, when Peter first left the band and they were having people, I was in orange, Nine at this point, And they were having, they said, Oh, people are going to try out. I don't know who tried out, but, Rob got the gig. Rob's a great person and a great guitar player, but I was upset. I was like, they didn't call me, but they didn't know who I was. So it didn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, eventually when I got that gig, it was amazing for me because going through the process of having a major label record deal so young and the expectations that were put on me, it kind of really knocked me out of my stride and put me off my path. So like being like a big brother, like took me in and all I had to do was play these awesome riffs. Right. I wasn't responsible for anything. Yeah, He wrote all the riffs and they were like, here, do this. And I'm like, awesome. This is awesome. Yeah. And they would do this thing, like, which is a really cool, I've never been in a band since that would do it, but like, we would jam on a riff for like an hour. Wow. I love you know, that. I did yeah. it in high school, obviously. Yeah, you do with sure, you sure. your friends and you're like, we can do this. But with Helmet, we would jam on like a riff for a long time. So that was really good when i first joined the original version of the band in the 90s right the only non-original member i've made a career about being the non-original member um <laughs> but uh it was amazing and it was just like such a good feeling and and i learned a lot and paige and i are still really close we're good friends i'm happy to hear that and and you set it up perfectly
0: because i was about to say after Orange Nine was Helmet, and that was essentially the next band you were in, involved with, correct? Of, of the yeah. journey, yeah. Yeah. And, and then after your time with Helmet came to an end, was that around the time that you were you were into the the Rival Schools? Is that correct on the timeline?
1: No, I I took a break. Yeah, I was gonna when Helmet broke up. That kind of broke my heart a little bit. Yeah, because it was only a year that first time around. Oh, really? Yeah. So I had come into a band that was like falling apart oh man and it's like really heartbreaking as a fan too you're just totally. like you know like it didn't it didn't feel good and um i had met a girl and i'd fallen in love with her i actually try to start a band afterwards i remember we i was in manchester actually and, and i knew helmet was coming to an end and i had like a guitar and i brought it up to my room and after being in orange nine and helmet I looked at the guitar and and I was staring at the guitar in my hotel room and I actually cried a little bit because I was just like, um, I don't know if you're supposed to say that because maybe I'm supposed to be tougher than that. No,
0: no, no. Everybody knows me as the feely guy, man. This is the right show. I I hope that people come on my podcast and it's notoriously like the breakdown moment, like all musicians come on here and go, oh, man.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, hopefully I'll start the trend for you. Please, (laughs) please, please, please. But I remember thinking, like, I don't know what to do now. Yeah. Like, because both those bands I thought had pretty original styles. Yeah. And I didn't want to just, like, when you pick up a guitar and it's just like this, you know, like G, D, whatever, like, even yeah. as, as a lot of songs are like that, you know, sure. um, I just didn't have it. I couldn't think of a way that I could, like, do something interesting. Yeah. And I thought, like, this is it and uh i tried to start a band afterwards but like and i was actually gonna sing in the band yeah but like anybody that was good enough to be in my band wanted to be in their own band yeah, so i right? was in this like, weird place where everyone was like you know well my music is like this and you're like fuck. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know so it's just like okay so uh i met a woman i fell in love we had a kid i like moved to virginia I was like painting, faux painting mansions, and sort of giving guitars. <laughs> yeah, that as one does. As one does. And um, and then I uh, I got the Bush gig because uh, Dave Sardi, who is the one that hooked me up, uh, he's a producer. I don't know if you know him. He produced like Jet and like a bunch of big records. He did a helmet the name, record.
0: The name is familiar. Yes.
1: He's a fantastic producer. He had an incredible band in the '90s called park Market, but he produced an Orange Nine record, uh, a Helmet record, and a Bush record. And he wow. introduced me to Gavin. I had met him at a party. It was Rick Rubin's birthday in New York. And I was living, I was driving like a busted up, like used minivan that I didn't couldn't even afford having like taillights in the car. And mm-hmm. I was just like surfing every day. And I didn't think I was gonna play music ever again. Wow. And uh, Rick Rubin's birthday party, I met, I met Dave. And he's like, what are you doing? I'm working with a band that needs a guitar player. You know, and I was like, cool. And I thought it was Slayer because he was working with Slayer.
0: And you're like, I'm going to be in Slayer.
1: <laughs> I was like going home, going like practicing the Slayer riffs.
0: <laughs> Rating blood. You're like, fuck.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but it turned out to be, you know, I got a phone call from from Gavin. And that's it. I was I, I like, he called me when I was out on the beach. You know, I mm-hmm. just got surfing and um mm-hmm. And then the rest is like our friendship built over the, the uh, you know, over the long haul of that. But it was interesting kind of being the only American person in the band or the crew. Yeah. You know, and like such a culture shock and like learning about like this band's, you know, they were such a huge band. They weren't, they weren't not on my radar, but they weren't yeah. on my radar. Yeah. And so to get in, into this world, that had such its own history and fan base and, and I love the fans, but it was a huge culture shock to me because, you know, like with the, with the helmet stuff, I I knew them, I knew it, it was from New York. And then later on afterwards with the Blur stuff, you know, like I didn't know any of them, but I just knew the music so personally. Yeah. And uh, so, but also when I joined Bush, um, I only did a year or two with them. And then Gavin, we did the solo record. So the solo record and the time of the Rival Schools record was around the same time. Gavin gotcha. and I did his solo record, which is, is, I love that record, and the Institute record, which was a cool record actually. If it had come out now, I think it would have done better because it yeah. was heavy and I think it threw people off. Right. So it was heavier than, or more riffy than some of the Bush stuff, but um So we've built this relationship over a long time. And when he when we he decided to put the band back together, you might know the year better than I do. Maybe it was 2010 or something like that. That sounds right. Yeah. That sounds about right. And uh we went from like, because the solo record had Love Remains the Same, which was a massive success. Yes. And I thought we were gonna do this again. And and then he was like, We're gonna put Bush back together. And I thought, Oh, I'm out. You know, I thought right. Like, here we go again. Yeah. but He, uh, he, he asked me to play with them and, and that was really cool. And, and we've been, it's interesting because our relationship keeps growing. Our friendship keeps growing. My ability to make contributions towards the music keep growing. Like my kind of who I am is finding a space within, in the Bush universe. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I know that Robert and Dean talk about a connection, but Corey and I, and Gavin and are so connected. I love and it. And I can tell if Gavin's in a bad mood if he's in the same room with me and I'm not looking at him. Or I can tell I can hear in the music like uh you know sometimes we'll extend different parts of songs mm-hmm. and I can just feel it by not looking at him. We have the same thing. And what's interesting is with Nick the new drummer when we were looking for a new drummer we had all these people come in and I had actually asked two friends of mine who are big drummers that decided to come down and try out. I won't mention them in case I put them in a weird place with their current band, Sure. but um, I had had these people come over and they came to my house and I showed them the songs and I was like, you know, this, and I was like, I would love to have either of these dudes in my band. And, uh, So when Nick came in, Nick Nick Corey goes to me, he's like, hey, a friend of mine from college wants to try out for the band. And I was like, cool, you know, because Corey's my brother. And yeah, I was like, whatever. And the moment that Nick started playing, I was like, oh, my God, this is it!" like jumped up on the riser with him, And he doesn't. me, So like we're having this thing and he's going for it and I'm going for it. And this is a a tryout like, you know, where I've been there all day. Wow. playing with all these different musicians and i was like this is the guy this has got to be the guy and i was just said to everybody like as, as stopped, like as soon as we stopped i was like as soon as we stopped that first song i was like we're done that's it yeah that's it. I, don't, I don't know if everybody felt that way oh, right yeah after- i, I
0: saw it i saw it at the show that you guys just played i saw you up at the riser i saw you know like i could see it right there it's amazing amazing yeah
1: and uh gavin sent me something the other day it was um I'm pretty sure it was Gavin on Instagram. It was a buddy rich thing where they were interviewing people and they said like, um, he, buddy, rich was saying, do you know who buddy rich is? Yeah. Jazz. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he was saying, you know, uh, uh, a great drummer raises your level, raises the level of the band, like yes. a great drummer. And this is buddy rich talking about one of the all times, but right. when you're playing with somebody like that, it raises the level. Like when I play with, when I've done records with Josh freeze, like you're on your game, like he just yes. lifts you up. You know, um, and the, he, the guy asked him, he said, well, what about if you have a not great drummer? He said, get a different band.
0: Ah, <laughs> get a different band. Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. And, I'm, you know, I've covered I've covered a lot of uh, those iconic 90s albums. And and, uh, you know, definitely with my love of the Smashing Pumpkins, Jimmy Chamberlain is one of those drummers that emerges as, you know, somebody who's just a, an incredible drummer and makes them all better when he plays it's so true when you hear drummers that elevate everybody else's skill it just takes the music to a whole new place so yeah you can hear it with you guys working together and it's so cool I like to believe by the way that Rick Rubin was sitting cross-legged on a mountaintop, and he was meditating, and he visualized that you were going to join Bush, and that's how you ended up at the at the party. Like he foresaw it, because he has this like really guru way about him now. So I'm, I'm I like to believe that that's what happened. He like saw the future, and he's like, we must get Chris Trainer at my birthday party in order for him to join
1: Bush. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's the story now. That's yeah, what we're gonna,
0: that's what we're gonna go with. That's what we're gonna go yeah, with. Yeah, yeah, I your your um contributions to Bush have been great because I just think that the you know the latest album that came out is it's so good and um the riffs are there, the depth is there. You know, when I first had heard Heavy as the Ocean, I was literally I was in my car and I was like, what? Like it was just it was like, whoa, this is this rips. Yeah. And uh just so deep. Are you are you playing technical thing here? Are you playing a baritone guitar on some of these songs? Is that is that how how you're getting so heavy and it's not sloppy sounding? It sounds tight, so tight. You know.
1: Well, heavy is the ocean. um So much of the he- heaviness of the record. Uh-huh. I don't want to mislead anybody. Is like Gavin wanting to be heavy.
0: Oh, I love that.
1: You know, and that. and. uh I was like coming down, when we did this last record, Uh I was coming down from the ranch that I was working on and I had like three guitars without cases. I had like my 1971 Les Paul Custom. I had a, oh, it's not here. I thought it was in my studio. I have a a, a 63 SG Junior Uh and a cheap baritone. Nice. like a Fender Mexican Fender baritone it comes from Mexico yeah 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 um, and it and so we would just switch it and you know what was interesting about this record is everything went so fast yeah that like and Eric Rons the producer and him and I have a I think to him he has a really good relationship with the band but him and I have a friendship as well and we've we've worked on other stuff together so we would just keep like trading stuff and like trying, you know, so I'd be like, Oh, here's a baritone. And I would like tune it. And when we came to do this record, I mean, when we came to tour on this record, I had to get two other baritones. Yeah. I kept going like, Oh, you know, like I was just go- moving so fast. That I didn't realize like I was doing different tunings. And um, yeah. So heavy is the ocean to me uh, is, 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 is an interesting song because when I first heard that, when Gavin played me that most of what's on there is what Gavin had wrote. So so sometimes like uh, he'll come in with a song and I'll add stuff or I'll come in with a riff and he'll sing on it. Right. But that song is like one where I heard and I was like, this is great. I added some like top layer things and like, sound effects a lot of what i do on in the studio unfortunately sounds like keyboards so like you know like it gets remanded to you know like noise candy and stuff like that yeah 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 that one i heard it and i was like this is great and it reminds me of alien from the first record like it reminds me of something that would be on the first record not like a hit song but like a deep track that you could hold hold on to and um it feels really good. And we feel like, you know, we consider ourselves wolves. We always say like, because over the course of the past 20 some odd years that I've been playing with Gavin, we've had different managers and different labels and different bandmates and like different, you know, different everything. And we always say that, you know, like, well, I, I think i said it first but if he wants to say he said it first he can you
0: get you get credit
1: You get. i hear it's here i said it first
0: yes here you uh, said it first
1: i you know i said you know like uh they threw us to the wolves but little did they know that we are wolves yeah. you know and yeah. i just think like well, that's uh, awesome we were out there and now people are like there's a hype about the band again like people is like bush is cool like everyone's writing you know and i'm not tooting my own horn here because we've been doing kind of the same thing for a long time but like we were like working to this point where people are starting to recognize the band as being like hey they have new stuff that's good yeah like play a heavy show it sounds modern and we feel good about that but we've been working hard for a long time to like kind of break through you know like being like uh people considering us a nostalgia act because we we feel like we've been putting out good records for a long time. Right. Right. And we've actually had hits. Like yeah. Sound was number one. Like, so it's not like, you know, like it's uh, you know, obviously more than machines is number one as well, but we we keep like knocking at that door and saying, like, put us out in front of anybody. And what's yeah. cool now is that I don't know if you noticed this at the show that you came to, the age group is diverse. There's like teenage 60 year olds. Mm-hmm. And people it. are like rocking, so it's like we feel like finally we're kind of breaking through and showing people like, "Hey, we're we're still good, man." Yeah, we're yeah. still doing stuff that's good.
0: Yeah, a hundred percent. And it's interesting because for all of us in when Bush was exploding in the '90s and becoming such a big band, it, you know, people who weren't living during that time don't realize that because you didn't have the internet and MTV was giving you new bands new bands new bands over and over again you kind of had to pick the one that you were going to really or the five that you were going to like obsess over a little bit because there was just a lot of options there was a lot of choices it's just interesting when i make content about a band from that era that some people are laser focused in on and then i make and then others are like oh nobody cared about them or whatever and you're like no that's not true you just had to make you had to pick your your wolves yeah. You wanted to run. I love them. that
1: you did. Hum.
0: Yeah, yeah. Hum is a band that so many people they said thank you and they because they're like nobody knows about this band and I'm like well I know about it and you know about it but you're right that we have these pockets back then right you have that you only had enough time to really fall in love with so many bands because it's not it wasn't is available other than getting the physical copy waiting for the video to air. You know, whatever weird thing Beavis and Butthead would would throw at you and be like, what is this? You know, it's it's or 120 minutes or Headbangers Ball. And so Bush was another one of those ones that was huge. And you'd see Gavin's handsome face all over your MTV and you'd be going, you know, these guys seem cool. But it was another one of those ones that was among these so many hit bands at the time that I'm really getting a chance to enjoy Bush's catalog more now. And that's what I think is so cool that what I saw there that night was you guys were going through songs spanning decades yeah, and it was connecting to everybody in the crowd. You know, you saw people singing along on the new stuff. You saw people singing along on the past few record stuff. You saw people singing on the old school, you know, OG 90s stuff. Yeah. And that's just a really cool position to be in as a band Um, because it all felt uh together it felt it it felt a natural progression of music it didn't feel like and now we're gonna go completely out of left field you know and do the next half hour uh bluegrass you know it was it was it was it was a a building towards momentum for bush and you can really feel it with what you guys are doing so i i think it's pretty exciting time for you guys
1: yeah i thank you for noticing that and i i feel the same way and i just think like You're seeing a band that has a rich history Mm -hmm. and a singer that's one of the, and he's my friend and he's the singer of my band. So maybe it's, it's you know, doesn't seem genuine, but it is that he's one of the, you know, he's just has an iconic voice when you hear his voice.
0: It's unmistakable.
1: Yeah. and And so to me, like, and he's one of the last dudes. Yeah. That era. Totally. Like, you know, come out and see this band while it's, we're kind of, we're hitting our stride, yeah. you know, and he just sounds amazing. And there's nothing like, you know, we're, we're, we're ready to go. Like when we go out there, we put everything out there. We never phone it in, you know, sometimes beforehand I'm sitting in the dressing room and I'm like, you know, because it's like a, it's, we tour a lot, yeah, but you when do. we go out there, it doesn't feel like that. We look at each other. We look at the fans. We're not letting anybody down and we're going to the mat for that show. We do it.
0: Oh man. Uh, you had posted some concert picks cause you came through close to LA, I think last summer. Um, and I didn't get a chance to to make it cause it was, you know, there, there, there's so many shows, right? And so I, I missed it, but I saw these pictures and you guys are leaping around stage. You learn, you're giving your all. And I was not disappointed when I saw you at Anaheim. I was like, these guys are crushing it up there. Just so much exertion. And, uh, you know, getting a chance to shake Gavin's hand backstage and, you know, meet this guy that I've been hearing for thirty years. And you're right, being one of the the original voices that's still alive, I often talk with people, you know, after being with the DeLeo Brothers and Kim Thyle from Soundgarden. I mean, back to back, those are two bands that lost their frontmen. And then you go down the list and you go. Oh, you lost two. huh yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. There's there's so many that you go down the list and you go, there's just so many that are gone from that time The the, the male vocalists. Yeah. And, and to hear Gavin sing now, it, it does take you back, but he is still pushing forward. You know, yeah. he's taking us back, but he's pushing forward at the same time. And that's, it's really, really, really cool. So yeah. I'm going to encourage everybody. If Bush comes through your town, you got to go see him. They put on a really killer show um, a lot of great energy up there. Just the sound, it, it resonates. And, uh, you know, you got to see Chris Trainer walk up the riser and, and you know, be in lockstep with Nick up there. So it's pretty
1: great. It's pretty great. So, so cool. Well, I, I appreciate it. And I can't wait to have you out to the next one.
0: Yeah, I, I will be there. I will be there with the with, uh, bells on. And uh, I'm excited, and uh, yeah, we're gonna work on this hiking club, man. I'm 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 not gonna stop until I convince Robert DeLeo. You, I'm gonna I'm gonna just find all the people that want to like go out and fish and get out in nature, and it's gonna be great. It's gonna be great.
1: Yeah, At, <laughs> before, you don't have to do it on air, but before you interview anybody in the email preparation, you'd be like, how do you feel about nature?
0: Yes, 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 totally. I just need to do that. I need to basically say like, "Hey, thanks so much for coming on uh, Waterproof Records. Uh, I'm so excited that you're gonna be here." How do you feel about like nature and camping and hiking and stuff?
1: And they're like, "We might lose some guests." Yeah, I know. They're
0: gonna be like, uh, "No thanks." Well, there's some right that I could instinctively look at and go, mm, eh, "You don't seem like a big camper to me." <laughs> but uh but dude, just a thrill to have you on and uh, just a, a huge body of work and so many bands that you played with and and again helmet was a big one that was I I, I would have been geeking out like you too um getting that time with Paige uh what a what a killer killer band I've done some videos on them, but I gotta do more you know I, re- I remember getting uh, meantime and just being like wow Oh, you know when i was a kid it was like so cool and like like uh, so many of us said it they were the they were the first guys you were starting a band and my parents wouldn't let me grow my hair long when i was a kid so you saw a helmet and you're like sweet you can rock with short hair yes you can be and in shorts in shorts you can wear shorts and short hair and you can be a badass you know riff machine that was the best part oh man well, Chris, thanks again for coming on the show, man. Is there anything that uh, you want to share, promote or, or or shout out here on the show today or just to have them, you know, go go buy the ba- latest Bush album and all of them, actually?
1: Yeah, I don't promote any, I don't promote anything. I know I should have something to promote, but yeah. I don't. Wow. Yeah. Oh,
0: well, I'll do that work for you. Don't worry. Yeah, about thank it. you. I yeah, appreciate yeah, it. yeah, of course. Yeah. Well, thanks, dude. I'm going to turn my gaze up this way. And uh, thanks again for coming on Wandproof Records. I really appreciate it.
1: That was great, man. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Well, I mean, come on. I, this is incredible. The the guests that come on the show, I feel lucky to be in the position that I'm in to have an opportunity to talk to them and talk about bands and talk about passion for music. And Chris said it right that we it's because we feel a certain way when we hear a song. And I think that that's why you listen to this show is that there's just something so magical. And I, I, that, that, uh, That quote that he said about music is the art that passes through you. Oof, boy, that got me. That got me good. Um, I hope you check out all the stuff going all the way back to Orange Nine Millimeter and all the way through. There's so many bands that we talked about. If you've never really checked them out before, you definitely should. Um, Lots of different influences and styles that he's had in his his career over the years and I'm just excited to see where they go next. So, um thank you again for listening to Waterproof Records. I couldn't do it without you. So make sure I hope you're sharing this podcast with your friends and saying, you know, I don't, you know, Jacob Givens quite possibly might might be the voice of the generation. I'm just I, you know, I'm just going to throw that out there. <laughs> um but leave me some comments, you know, uh I always try to follow up with people when they write to me, but go in to the um, iTunes, you know, Apple Store, and give me a review. You know, give me those, give me those stars. Tell people that you love the show. I can't do this without you, and I can't do it without my sponsor, Distrokid. So thanks again. Make sure to check out distrokid.com/vip/waterproof. Get that 30% off. Um, they make this show possible. So thanks again for joining me. We'll see you next time on Waterproof Records. Things are gonna change. I just gonna be that kind of fight.
1: Waterproof Records Waterproof Records Waterproof Records with Jacob